When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. The cabin is dark, way past resting hour. I stand on my bed gown, listening to the heavy wagon roll against the gravel outside and come to a stop. I'm supposed to be asleep, resting for daybreak when I'll feed the chickens, grab the eggs, and run like crazy before those pink thorny feet chase me out of the coop. I always sneak a few extra for Oline, carefully tucking the eggs under the hay for later. The rest of the basket goes to the whole house. I feed the hogs, too, while Papa Sap stands close by, watching with a keen eye, his good eye. He lost the other when he was a boy. This is G.P. Gottlieb, and today I'm talking to author Trisha R. Thomas, whose novel What Passes for Love tells the coming-of-age story of Dahlia Holt, a beautiful 16-year-old slave whose father is the white plantation owner. During a special 16th birthday outing to the city, Dahlia gets separated from her sisters and grandmother, and two young Englishmen come to her rescue. Afraid to give her real name, she invents a new one. Moments later, when chaos erupts because of a nearby bank robbery, the town is forcibly cleared, and Dahlia can't find her family. The two kind gentlemen take her home with them, and it takes some time for Dahlia to understand both the life she chose and the consequences of being a runaway slave with a bounty on her head. Hi, Tricia. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Thank you for having me. So did you base this story on a real person? And if so, can you say more about what you learned? I based this story on a photograph that I found, actually. I was was actually um, planning to do the historical novel, and I was looking for information on plantations in Virginia, and I actually stumbled upon this beautiful picture in 1861 of three sisters, and they're probably four, five, six years of age, and they're dressed in these little pretty dresses, and they have capes and hats. I mean, they look like they're little European girls, uh, you know, on their way to go shopping or something. And then at the bottom of that picture, it says three slave girls, three slave sisters emancipated in 1861. And I was just floored because they could easily pass for white. They could easily Mm. have been in any family at any time. And I just thought, I had so many questions. Who are these little girls? I mean, who raised them? What happened? Like, how in the world, you know, did they fit into this this world where they were slaves and yet they looked completely like, you know, any little girl that you might see in, in you know, Colorado or Iowa. I mean, they just, they were little, they were white. And so, you know, to the eye, and I just thought, I want to tell their story. And so I 
you know, really just started scoping out, you know, what what would this world be like for for this one particular little girl who, you know, out of those three, you know, did have more more Afrocentric features, you know, fuller lips, a little bit of, of a wider nose. But I just wanted to focus on, you know, what would happen if two of them were accepted and one of them wasn't, and that one became Dahlia Holt in my story. Mm. So, of course, I want to talk more about what passes as love and Dahlia Holt, but let's take a step back. I understand, Tricia, that you hold a BS in economics. I, how did you be? How did you become a writer? <laughs> well, I did. I wanted to be a writer all of my life, and it just wasn't a possibility for me. I mean, you when you grow up, um, I'm black, and we live in this world where all the writers that we know are Danielle Steele or Jackie Collins. And, you know, I didn't know of any black writers. I mean, I read um, James Baldwin, of course, and, and books that were brought into my life for literature purposes were very rare. It was a rare thing to see. And so I just always assumed I couldn't make a living that's not something you do. That's something you, you know, dawdle or play around with. And so I, I went into science and I had a, you know, a real high level of, uh, you know, science background acclimate or as they say. And so I focused on that and I went in, got a bachelor of science in economics and I did marketing and demographics and things like that and but I always wanted to write and I know you hear that story a a lot where it's just this beating at the back of your head like you know you're meant to do something else and when I got the chance you know um, my husband took another job and so I could stay at home and I could write and it, it was just like the doors just opened up and I couldn't stop myself I was writing all hours of the night I was so happy to get the chance. And, and so that's how it started. Mm, and now you have 11 novels already published, especially um, there's like nine of them in the very well-known Napoli series. Can you say something about that? I understand it's even out on Netflix now. Yes. Well, Napoli Ever After it was my debut book and it um, actually was optioned for film before it was even published. Um, a well-known actress, Halle Berry, she had just won an Oscar for her role in Monsters Ball with um, Billy Bob Thornton, I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. And so she had a little bit of um, little bit of signing power at that time and, and someone had given her, you know, my manuscript and, and said this this book, you know, is perfect for you. And she took it on and and really pushed for it to become a film. And sadly, it never happened for her. But it went on to um, be be adapted uh, for Sanaa Lathan, who is also a really really phenomenal actress. And so it made it and in, into into the Netflix library, and and, and it really did well. And it's a fun film and it really captured the essence of the book. So I was happy with it. So we could talk later about the the movie of What Passes as Love. So now, how did you pinpoint the geographical location of where you wanted 
the novel to take place? What passes as love? I wanted, um, you know, as a matter of fact, that played an important part in the story because I wanted them to be close to the North so that it wouldn't be, I, I always knew I wanted her to take this journey and to um, make her escape and be able to get from one place to the next, to the next and feel this empowerment that she was safe, you know, even if it was only in her mind. And so I wanted her to be Northern in the Northern, um, Northern South, if that's a term. And I wanted her to be able to get there to um, New York and Washington, DC, those kind of places realistically. So um, that's pretty much how it, how it, um, how I pinpointed where the story was going to take place. I didn't want it to be in Louisiana or Texas or Florida, you know, somewhere really, really far that, that this journey would be almost impossible for her to make, especially as a young, young girl. So it, it was, it played a big part. So Virginia. Yes. Okay. What was the significance of the birthmark that distinguished Dahlia? Oh, I love that part. It really, it was um, a sign that she was of two parts, um, black and white. You know, her, her, uh, obviously her, her father is the plantation owner, the master, and her mother is a slave. And so it was significant to have that scar down the center of her back that the other slaves saw her as being you know, separate, separate from them in a way that she was both. She was both of these people and which side do they trust? And Mm -hmm. so it, it, it made sense to me to give her that scar and like a birthmark. Yeah, it was a birthmark. It wasn't a scar. It was a birthmark, but it, it, but it appeared as a river down the center of her back. Yeah. I liked that part. Why does the owner have Dahlia brought into the big house? His, his mother, um, Mother Rose, is this character who is sweet and and really a kind woman, but she sees that this little girl looks exactly like the other two daughters, her other granddaughters that are in the house, and she knows it's her. Um, she knows it's Lewis Holtz, her son's offspring. Of course, he's he's been very. Um, busy out there. So he knows all of the, she knows all of the offspring, but she sees this little girl running around with her friend, Bo, who is uh, very dark. And so when they're holding hands, she can see, you know, the big difference. And, and even though she knows she's a slave, she wants to separate her and pull her into the home. And so she sends her son, Lewis Holt, to the quarters to get this little girl and bring her back so that she can have her close to her in the home. And she even attempts to try to raise her in the same way that the other daughters are being raised. But he, you know, Lewis Holt puts a stop to it. Do you think the grandmother loves her granddaughters equally? I think she would like to love them equally. I think in her heart she does, but it's hard to in front of the other little girl she can't she can't show that love because Dahlia's supposed to be the slave and the house girl and so she can't do it without getting the ire of the other little girls Leslie Leslie and Annabelle so she doesn't really make it 
known and it, she keeps their relationship almost a secret between them. And, mm-hmm. and, and I really, I really love Dahlia and Miss Rose relationship because I, I know, I know Dahlia felt that love. And even if she couldn't present it, you know, fully in public and she had to keep her in her place as, as, um, Lewis Holt constantly told her she knew. Um, Why is Bo forbidden to talk to Dahlia after she moves into the big house? He is such a strong, wonderful character. I I, I told you before that I think he was my favorite character in the book. So where does he get his strength from? He's a kid. He's only 20 years old. He is. He is. He, um, He and Dahlia have been friends you know, practically growing up together right next door to each other as the, as the cabins are laid out. And um, he's a strong little boy. He's seen it all. This is not like, you know, our current times where a little boy can be a little boy. He has seen everything. He's seen beatings and hangings and pain and endured some trials of his own. So he grows up pretty fast. And he sees when Dahlia's taken away that this may this may end badly. And he, he watches over her as best he can, but she's separated from them. And Miss Rose, this is her main issue, is that Dahlia looks white enough to not be a part of the quarters, a part of the other slaves' lives. So she tries to keep them separate because... Obviously, um, Dahlia really, really loves, in, in a child way, loves Bo. And she doesn't want it to grow into anything more than that. Yeah. So now comes her 16th birthday. And through a series of um, happenstances, uh, she ends up with these English brothers. And uh, let's talk about them. Can you introduce them? The question I really want you to answer, though, is how does their belief that slaves are required for their household fit with their pride in their homeland, in their homeland of England, having given up slavery years before the United States? Um, Timothy and Rylan Ross, they're they're the two brothers. They are... um, English, and they've come to the the Americas um, with their mother, with the hope of starting their own plantation. And they simply believe that because slavery is a right for the, you know Virginia and for the Americans that are there, that's what they came for is to have this plantation. Why shouldn't they indulge and have? you know, reap all of the rewards there that are due to them. They, they couldn't have it in England because, as you said, slavery um, was ruled out long before. And um, Timothy actually believes that because of that um, slavery being ruled out, that they could never, their, their family, their, their long line of family could never get ahead because they were always in a hard place. They could never catch up to what was happening in, in America. And so coming over, they just, you know, were excited that they were going to have a chance to build this amazing 
life and this have this land and you know have free labor and you know they convince their aunt um, Gertrude that they too could you know build something here and so um, I think you know I, I hate using the word privilege but they they believed that it was their right and they had the privilege of not worrying about anything besides carrying on and making sure their plantation became profitable. That was their only goal. Uh, neither of the brothers are completely good or bad. I think you did a really good job of that. That's, that's hard to do. How should, how do you want the reader to view them? I, I really, um, I really want them to see that they were only doing what they thought they had a right to do. They only wanted what they thought they had a right to have. And that was everything. I mean, the, the, the land, the plantation, the house, um, a wife, you know, a family, they, they wanted what was due them. And I, I don't think that's a far cry from anyone that, you know, when you have the freedom to, to live your life and you have aspirations and you have dreams, you expect those things. And so that's, that's who they were. Yeah. Um, I, I thought your backstory was also fascinating in that nobody's completely good or bad. Um, even among the slaves, they, they all have distinct personalities that you, um, you made sure that some of them were weren't as nice as others. Right. Can you address some of some of that. Well, the human factor is the is what I was trying to present because I wanted them to be I wanted their lives, I wanted everything on the table that these are real people. They have good parts, they have bad parts, they have souls, they have you know, they have aspirations as well. And so it's hard to See that if you don't fill in all of the blanks and and I read a lot I'm a big reader and it would frustrate me often you know to read the, the historical novels and and find that the slaves stories are so limited to only how it serves their white master or you know their mm. um, in that environment outside of that environment their thoughts are even limited to you know, what they're going to do for that day for that person. And so I just wanted to create really memorable characters that have these lives and personalities. I mean, we have Essie who is just hell on wheels. I mean, she wants freedom and she wants a life. She wants Bo. And so um, she's willing to do whatever she has to do to make that happen. And so I, it, it was just my goal to make sure I painted full brush strokes and everybody got a full um, life, a full backstory. Let's talk about Cleo. I love Cleo. <laughs> Me too. She is wonderful. Can I, you say something? Um, Cleo really was important because she's the bridge that, you know, connected Dahlia to this, other family and and she knew probably right away that Dahlia was um, 
a, a slave, not maybe a slave, but she knew she was black mm-hmm. and had mixed race in her. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I really wanted Dahlia to have someone that she could trust and, and pour her heart and soul to and, and have a place where we could hear the interaction and Cleo keeps trying to tell her, you know, pick a side, decide where you want to be and, and own it. And it was just really hard for Dahlia to do, but Cleo, you know, kept trying to, to help her along. And I think that that's so important to have that connection with, um, with anyone, someone. And I wanted that in the story for her to have, you know, she had already lost Miss Rose. So I just wanted her to have, someone who could give her a hand and, and help help her. She's young. She's only 16. Mm. So, yes, she's really young. So it was important that she have someone who could still watch over her, and that was Cleo. It certainly wasn't the matriarch of the family, who is <laughs> quite a piece of work. <laughs> um, did, did you ever come to like Tilda, the mother of the two English brothers, as you as you wrote about her, I I really like all my characters, and Tilda was no different. I really wanted it to be known that she just wanted what was best for her sons, and that is all. She has one goal, and that was to make sure her sons were happy and and got everything that they that she thought they deserved. She really didn't even care so much about herself. It was it was all about her sons. And I don't think that's a far stretch at all. I mean, it, black mothers, white mothers, it doesn't matter. You want, Mothers, right. Yeah, yeah. You want what you, you want your children to be well taken care of. And even though she stepped out of bounds wanting something for Timothy, that really wasn't what Timothy wanted. You know, it was what she thought was, was best. So, um, it was a wonderful novel. Just, just that. Everybody should read it. I'd like to know what you're working on next, Tricia. What can we expect? I am working on a biographic retelling of Diane Carroll's early life. She's, um, she was an actress oh. who won the first Tony Award um, for a Black woman in 1961. And she was Julia on TV. She was the first black woman to have her own TV series. She was the first black woman to be nominated for an Oscar for um, a feature role for the main character. And so she's just an, an amazing person. And of course, she had, you know, the nine-year relationship with Sidney Poitier while you know they were both married. And I just know that most people, when they think of her, that's all they remember is that affair. And I thought this this shouldn't Mm -hmm. stand. There's so much more to her. And I can't wait until that story comes out. Ah, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Good luck with that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Trisha. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Gutley. This has been a really wonderful interview, and I appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking with author Tricia R. Thomas 
about her novel, What Passes as Love. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today. And tomorrow, too, happy reading. Mm -hmm.